0: Good to have Oleg here. Oleg, raise your hand. Yeah, Oleg. Yeah. So I met Oleg in Bible school, right? Or was it on the wrestling mat? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, in Bible school. Oleg is from Romania, Moldova, living in France. And he's here for a little while. He was uh, in Baltimore for Bible school, so it's good to have him here. Yeah, another international. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also good to have uh, Rob here. Let's give Rob and Betty a hand. We love them, don't we? That's you. Sorry, sorry. And then in the back, we have Doug. It's good to have Doug again, isn't it? And then we have Nelson and Nelson. Sounds like a TV show, doesn't it? We got the original and the, the uh, duplicate. <laughs> hey, yeah, Ron's here. I mean, everybody's here. I right? Give everybody give everybody a hand. <laughs> all right, so here it goes, all right? So what was, what kind of tea did the Founding Fathers of America drink? Uh, awesome tea, but it's nice. It was green tea and black tea. Liberty tea. Liberty. <laughs> Why aren't there any knock-knock jokes about America? Because freedom rings. (laughs) How much did the United States cost? Uh, Nothing. It's a free country. (laughs) That's all my dad jokes for today. On the whole ride home, we we're trying to tell dad, you know, dad jokes on the whole ride home last night. You know, it's an hour ride for us, so we didn't get very far. Yeah, hey, let's uh, stand up and open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Oh, what about you guys? I just told jokes, wasn't that enough for you? Alright. <laughs> Alright, you guys can be dismissed. <laughs> Alright, so. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, and we're just going to talk about the spirit of liberty since it's uh, the 4th of July. And we experience so much uh, freedom here, don't we, in the United States? And the United States has changed a lot. Um, but we still are able to meet here today. We're able to have our Bible open. And we're able to fellowship together. So it's amazing. So I'm going to be reading through the NASAB, NASB. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. It says, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our pre- speech. And we are not like Moses, who used to pull a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel could not stare at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened until this very day, the re, uh, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it was removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. So let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you for today. We thank you for this body here where we can fellowship around the word of God and we can be encouraged and listen to what you have uh, for us personally. You are so personal, Lord. And we ask that you'll speak clearly to us in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can be seated. It's an interesting verse uh, that Paul is talking about here to the Church of Corinth. And, and, you know, there's there's a whole lot we could say, right? But I like to go to a verse and then read a chunk and then see the context because we always talk about freedom, right? My battery dead. We always talk about freedom. So it's like, what does that actually mean? Like we live in a country where, you know, freedom is our thing and we can exercise our freedom to do whatever we feel like we want to do, right? And we hear it over and over again where somebody will say, like, well, I have the freedom to do this. And the question that I ask is, really, do you? And we're going to see in this passage that actually we don't have the freedom to exercise our free will any way we want, but actually we have a different kind of freedom, okay? But this passage starts in a very interesting way because In verse 12, it says, therefore, having such a hope. See, it is so important that in our lives that we begin not from a place where we have the liberty to do what we want to do, but that we begin in a place where we actually have hope. How many of you guys have hope today? It's amazing, isn't it? But where is what is the object of our hope? Yeah, it's Jesus. And a lot of us here, we could say the object of our hope is actually in a living God. And I wrote this definition of hope down. I found this in a couple different places. Hope means to have assurance of good that is to come from God. Meaning that if you have hope, there is an assurance that God is going to bring something good in your life. So for us as believers, no matter what we are going through... In the church of Corinth, the first century church, where there was lots of persecution, lots of trouble, where they were not able to exercise their freedom, but as believers, they were worshiping the living God in catacombs. Okay, guys? This is where this is all kind of coming from. They're worshiping God in catacombs, in a place of death. They're worshiping God in a place where they were going to die and be buried. but they are worshiping God nonetheless because they had an ex- expectancy, they had an assurance that God was going to do something in their life. That is huge because as Americans we've become so derailed and so sidetracked by what is not happening in my life and how inconvenient things in my life can be where I forget about the glory and the hope of Jesus Christ. We're talking on the ride up here a little bit It would be great if everybody could just be shipped To a third world country And live there for several months To have a reality check To see what life can really be like Now here's an amazing Definition of hope, another one I forget where I got this But it says it also means Taking hold of the future As it belongs to the Lord What is uncertain in your life? You know, I am sure of my salvation, not in a boastful way, but I know that I am saved. I know that I'll be in heaven. That much I know. But between right now and the day that I die or that I'm raptured, it's a big question mark, isn't it? Where I don't know what is going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to respond to God between now and the day that I die. I don't know what kind of injuries that will happen. I don't know what kind of trouble that will come in my life. I don't know what kind of calamity will come in my family. I don't know what kind of pain that I'm going to suffer. I don't know how often I'll be in my bed crying at night. I don't know how much fear that will be in my life because of anxiety. These are things in our life that we can't plan. But the Apostle Paul, in a very simple word, using the word hope, he says that we can actually take hold of the future and say that this belongs to God, so that way none of these things affects me. Isn't that amazing? That's why, as believers, we can say, Well, I have hope. Well, what does that mean? Hope that you can change something, hope that you're going to be okay, hope that you're going to be rich. Hope that everything's going to work out? No! That's not the hope. We have our hope in Jesus Christ. Now, it's an interesting verse here. Let's turn to Psalm chapter um, 33. Because as believers, our hope is in Jesus Christ, right? And we can go far. But if we misplace our hope, is that possible? Could we misplace our hope? We're talking to an agnostic. I mean, I don't even know how old she was. I mean, I thought she was a teenager, but you know, maybe she was in her young 20s. And she says, "I don't judge anybody's religion because, you know, whatever makes the community good." is good for us, right? So if you believe in this, this, or this, it doesn't really matter as long as it's good for the community. But the thing is is that I could misplace my hope. I could misplace it in a a false religion. I could misplace it in my work, where I earn my money to pay my bills. I could misplace it in video games. I could misplace it in a family member, a wife, a husband, a relationship. I could misplace my hope in many different areas. In this verse here, <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting because, you know, when Israel became a nation, God gave them very strict rules, right? And one of those rules is that they could never go to war on a horse. Isn't that a funny rule? <laughs> I mean, if I go to war, man, I want to have the best potential artillery that I can have. And i will be like, God, you're kind of crippling your army, aren't you? Like, I want a horse so I can stand up, I can be a little faster, You know, jab, 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 we win. You know, that's what I want. In Psalm chapter twenty-three, it says, "Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and praise Him for the upright is beautiful." Oh, wait. Sorry, sorry. That's verse one. Let's start in verse sixteen. That's what I want. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Isn't that an interesting passage? Verse 16 and 17. You know, I would think that a good king could save us. You know, you know, here in America, some people are not happy with the direction that it's going, and we could say a good president, a good government would help us. This verse is saying that actually it cannot save. That a strong man's strength is not good enough to save. That their provision, their horses, it is not... And actually it says that word right there, that it is a vain hope. That means the hope that I put in the king, the hope that I put in a strong man, and the hope that I put in a horse, the Bible says that that hope is vain. It's empty. It has no value. You take that hope and you bring it to the bank... And they're going to laugh at you and say, that's monopoly money. It's useless here. Because the reality is, is that those are things that man sets up to create their, their own security inside of themselves, outside of God. Now, listen to this verse it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear God, who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy. To deliver their souls from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our helper and our shield for our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Isn't that an amazing verse? In some translations, that word mercy is actually translated and it's a love, the word for love. Meaning that here we are, we are believers and we can look and we can say, is there a strong man? (laughs) Nope. Is there a great and mighty king? Nope. Is there a horse that we can put our hope in? Nope. We are simple people with very little, but the thing that we have is that we do not misplace our hope because if we misplace our hope, this is saying that we will be defeated. But if we place our hope in the right objects, what happens? Well, First, 2 Corinthians 2 says that we have great boldness in our speech, but this is boldness not only in what they are saying from their mouth, but the way that they are living in their life. Meaning like yesterday we went out and we talked to people about God, we had boldness. Why? Because we had hope in a God who is living. It wasn't misplaced hope. You know, when somebody asks me a question about the Bible and I don't know the answer, do I get uncomfortable? Do I get insecure in my faith? I mean, I could, right? But actually, on the other hand, I don't. Because my hope is in God, not in reason. Because there's a lot of things in the Bible that is very unreasonable, but God asks us to do it, like go to war without a horse, and he says, but by my mighty hand, I am going to be your shield, and I am going to be your salvation. And from me, you will receive mercy. Isn't that amazing? That is our God. And just to put it very simply, what is our need for today? You know, This wasn't like part of the message, but I was thinking about it. What is our need for today? Each one of us is an individual, right? And we have very personal and individual needs. And some of those needs are huge. Again, like we said in the beginning, those needs could cause us to weep at night. They could cause there to be fear or anxiety in our life. Those those needs could cause so much disruption in my soul. And we see here in in 2 Corinthians chapter three, that the devil wants to use these kind of things to harden your minds and to blind your hearts from who God really is. You know, each one of those needs is an amazing opportunity for God to reveal his faithfulness. Each one of those needs is an amazing opportunity for God to reveal his mercy, his forgiveness, his kindness. It is an opportunity for God to reveal who he is personally in your life. Because in this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I, actually, I'm going to read it from a different translation. So, you know, it, it it's good for reading. So it says that suddenly recognize This is starting in verse 17 and 18. It says, then suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. Remember, these people were putting their hopes in a chiseled piece of stone. Today, we don't worship little idols like that. But there is something on the throne of our hearts that we very quickly put our trust in and our hope, and our expectancy, and very easily. And when God is personally present, isn't that amazing? When God is personally present, a living spirit that's old, constructing legislation is recognized as obsolete. We are free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face, and so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like him. Isn't that a beautiful translation? And what it really, really hit me there is that God is not a chiseled stone, but he is personally present in my life. And what God's desire for us Is that in this, that our hope is not in an obscure God who sits on a shelf, not in a bottle, not in drugs, not in marijuana, not in a relationship, not in a job, not in my IRA, not in my house, not in my car. My hope cannot be placed in any of these things because these things, Psalm 33 says, this is a vain hope. It's empty, it's useless, it's not going to get you where you need to go. The only thing that's going to get you to where you go is the person of Jesus Christ. And it says there that he is personally present for you. So we go from the chiseled stone to there being a personal God who is willing to reveal himself to us. So if that is my hope and that is the character of who God is, what is going to be experienced in my life? Psalm chapter, I mean, sorry, uh, Romans 5, verse 5 says, Hope makes us not ashamed. David said, I've never seen the righteous, I've never seen the ones that worship God begging for bread. Meaning that God has taken care of his own. We are children of God and God takes care of us. Are there physical needs? You know, can I use a, little, a few extra dollars in my wallet? Of course, I mean. But do I really need it? No, I don't. Look at the people that were burned to stake or they were thrown in the Colosseum and eaten by lions. Look at the believers in China. Look at the believers in Cambodia and in India and in Nepal, the mountains in Nepal. Look at these believers across the world in Iran and Afghanistan. Look at these believers. They are sitting there today and they can't express their hope at all. And here we are, we are praying to God to give me a couple extra dollars so I can buy a cheeseburger or buy an overpriced coffee from Starbucks. Yeah. That is my hope in a God who I believe is my genie? Is that what it means that God is personal, that He's going to meet your selfish desires? See, instead of your needs, see God here, he says, I want to be personal where he can look at the depths of your hearts. I mean, uh, Pastor Gary mentioned that we examine our hearts, but there's something that is so deep in our hearts that we can't examine that only God can touch, and God wants to go there, and that's where God wants to be, and that's where God wants to touch, because that is so personal, and he, that's where he wants to be, where he can heal you, and we're praying, God, give me a cup of coffee. I can't afford my Starbucks coffee anymore. <laughs> Or gasoline, actually. You know, actually it is a real need nowadays. <laughs> yeah. I think we did what? Uh, about, we, did, we calculated about 1,000 miles this week. Yeah, driving back and forth. We had VBS this week. It was amazing. 11 new families, right, that we reached. I think total we had 30-something children. Uh, and then even outside of the VBS uh, kids, there were families that were at the park we talked to. You know, Vincent... You know, called him awesome, this guy Oliver. I mean, I mean, God is doing something, but the point is, is here is that God is not a chisel stone. He wants to be personal to you. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Verse 17 says, where the Spirit of God is, this is referring to the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is, there is freedom. So in my life, as a believer, where is the Spirit of God? It's interesting, isn't it? Because if He's there, there that means that I have freedom. And we're going to talk about what this word freedom means in a few minutes. But if the Spirit of God is there, then I have freedom. So my question to you is, is where is the Spirit of God? The first night of convention, Pastor Schaller meant at, you know, said that we are all dwelled by the Spirit, but maybe we're not filled with the Spirit, right? There's a kind of a challenging little message. But here in these verses, let's um, turn back to Corinthians. I mean, Paul kind of answers the question right there for us. He says, but in there in verse 14, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 14 says, But their minds were hardened... So where is the Spirit of God? It, he could be in our mind, right? I mean, do you think your mind is important? Because what happens in your mind is this is where that all thinking happenings, and this is what actually you know, gives you motivation. If you don't have any thinking, then you're not going to have any doing. So if I'm not thinking properly, I'm also going to be doing improperly, Right? So if the Holy Spirit isn't in my mind, and my mind is hardened from the things of God, do I have freedom? And here it is. The world is saying, well, why are you a believer? Be open-minded. And they think, isn't that funny? that They think that if they could do whatever they want and think whatever they want, they are free, but we are in chains. But actually the opposite happens because what we find is that if we have the mind of Christ, that we actually have freedom. In verse 15, it says, but in that day, whenever Moses is uh, read, a veil lies over their hearts. Meaning that the Holy Spirit should also be in our hearts. You know, this heart is like an interesting, you know, Um, In psychology, it's an interesting word But, you know, very simply This is where all of our motivation comes from It's directed by our hearts And we feel, you know, feel That word feel, emotions Emotions is a part of our hearts You know, like we did VBS And how many of you ever went to VBS as a kid Or a church program And you remember it, right? But you don't necessarily remember the lesson, do you? No You remember the feeling and it had a motivation in your life. See, in our lives, our, our emotions and our, our motivation ha- is huge. So if God can be in our motivation, if God could be in our hearts, if the Spirit of God is there, then there is also freedom. And then we all can also read that He dwells in our life. So we see here that in their lives, the Spirit of God is missing in their thinking, The Spirit of God is missing in their motivation. And the Spirit of God is missing altogether in their body. But for us as believers, the Spirit of God is there. I mean, I love that. That the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is indwelling us right now. He is inside of our body and He is sealed there and He can't go anywhere. Maybe we're not filled with the Spirit, but He is still indwelling us. Maybe there is sin in our life, but where is that sin coming from? Where are some of these problems that we have in our life? Where are those things coming from? You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because these things come from somewhere and they come from a place where we are not allowing the spirit of God to come into our mind and to come into our hearts and change us. Because if we were to allow him to do that, then we would have this great hope. So I would dare to say that we often do not believe in the hope that is in Jesus Christ because we don't allow him to come into our life and we don't give him our heart, we don't give him our mind and we see ourselves overwhelmed with sin. Isn't that true? I mean, I don't mean like you're going out and stealing and beating people up, that kind of sin. But I mean even the simple sin of thinking evil. The simple sin of somebody that you love and, and saying something that is, that is hurtful. I'm thinking of the looks. I'm thinking of those little things. Those are also called sin. You know, Jesus took the law of Moses and kind of blew it up, didn't he? He says, if you look at a woman the wrong way, you're guilty of, <laughs> guilty of adultery. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, if you hate your brother, You're guilty of murder What Jesus did is he took the law And he said basically you think you can do These things but look at How evil your heart is You think you Can earn your way to heaven You think you Can be your own hope You think reforming The flesh or preserving You know a good part Of you know remember that story When Joshua went in and was supposed to Oh no It was uh, King Saul who was supposed to kill King Agag. He said, we saved the best for you, Samuel, and we sacrificed it to God. We saved the best of the lambs. We saved the king. You know, Samuel was angry. Why? Because the best of man cannot be our hope. The best of man cannot be our provision. Jesus can be our only provision. And that's why, I mean, we said it, you know, with Captain Ron. I mean, it is so important that we are in church. And, you know, and I I don't care what church you go to. I mean, I do. As long as, if the Bible's being preached, I don't care. (laughs) You know, but be in a church where the Bible is being preached and be there and be there often because. What you're going to find there is you're going to find the spirit of God entering into your mind, entering into your heart. And now you begin to experience the real personal hope that is inside of Jesus. But outside of that, you are saying you believe in God and yes, you could be in heaven. But in your experience, you are so far from believing that God could help you because you're so busy trying to help yourself. I'm not promoting laziness, you know. If you need to help yourself, you know, you, you get off the couch and you do something. I understand that because God teaches us how to, you know, earn our way and put food on the table, right? But there's something to be said that is bigger. You, you know, don't think this level here. Think this. Think spiritual. You know, I'm not dealing with these little issues down. That, that, you know, I don't care about the, those little issues. We're talking about something deeper because if you deal with a real issue in your life, if you allow God to come in, and this word for freedom doesn't mean that now I am free to do whatever I want, but actually it's something very different. This word for freedom means that now that I am free from sin, that's what the context is telling us here, that I I am liberated from sin. And I'm also free to be in the presence of God because, remember, it's amazing. In Exodus 34, Moses had to put a veil over his face because the people of God were afraid of looking at Moses. Isn't that amazing that we could be people of God in the presence of God and somebody could be afraid of us just because we've been in God's presence? Oh, you know, cover that up. Get rid of it. You know, we enjoy that the fact that you're a good human being, but this is a little too much for us. It's, isn't that interesting? The people of God told Moses to cover his face. And he only took the veil off when he went into the Holy Holy. When he went into the presence of God, he was free to take it off. And Paul here is saying that if Moses' law, which was written, it was chiseled in rock. If it was chiseled in rock, and that's what it produced in Moses' life, how much greater for us having the Spirit of God living inside of us instead of in a tent pitched pitch in the wilderness. See, you have the Spirit of God, and you know our faces shine with the glory of God. And doesn't always like that. Do we have problems? Yes, we do. But the thing is, is not that we have problems. But that our hope is in Jesus Christ. So today, you know, we're celebrating. We're going to eat a lot of hot dogs and hamburgers. You know, potato salad. And it's going to be coming out of our nose. We eat so much of it. You know, it's going to be a great weekend. Right, guys? You know, don't have to work. That's awesome in itself. (laughs) You, You know, but America doesn't stand for freedom. It's another country. That is a speck of dust in this thing we call history. And it will pass away. What makes America so great, what made America so great, is the fact that there were some old men and a group of people who believed in this book here. And they understood what it meant to believe in God. They understood. That, that freedom didn't mean that I had freedom to do whatever I want, but it was freedom to live righteously. It was freedom to worship the one true God. And for us as believers, it doesn't matter where we come from or the state of our country, because in the end of the day, we are citizens of heaven. Amen. It's an amazing book, Heavenly Man, a Chinese man, and it's like, where is your citizenship? I am a citizen of heaven. You know what? And I am going to be in heaven one day. My body is going to be buried in that ground. And, you know, I, I drove by a nice little graveyard, you know, in Frederick the other day. I'm like, maybe my body will be there. But you know what? I am a citizen of heaven. I'm going to live for eternity in the kingdom of God face to face with the with the spirit of liberty, face to face with the Shekinah glory, wow. and it is, all, all this stuff that we question right now is my faith real? Uh, can God actually answer my prayers? Can God solve this relationship problem? Can God solve my money problem? You know all of these questions. We're going to look back, you know, when we're in heaven, we're like, oh my gosh, you know, hindsight twenty twenty. That was so ridiculous. I can't believe for a second that my hope. Wasn't in God, and it was in the fact that I could do something more. Isn't that funny? So, today, just as we take this message in our hearts and we leave this building today, be encouraged. The Spirit of God is in you, there's a spirit of freedom, and we have the freedom to go boldly, it says in Hebrews, before, the, before God, before the throne of grace. We can enter into the presence of God, and we can talk to Him as our Father. And these um, these mountains that are before us, these problems that we have, they're real. I'm not making light of it, guys. They're real. I understand that. I have them too. But do you know what? My God is more real, and I don't want to have a vain hope. I don't want to hope in a king who can't save me. You know. I don't want to hope in a strong man and try to exercise and get stronger and hope in that kind of a guy. I don't want to hope in a provision. I'm going to watch God do amazing things. You know, in Exodus 34, it says that you know Moses, while he was up there talking to God about the commandments and rewriting them, he says, I'm going to do miracles like, like you have never seen before. Isn't that amazing? Some of you guys are actually walking miracles. I am thankful that you are here, you know. Gary, you're a miracle. (laughs) I mean, your testimony is a miracle. The fact that you're here with us is a miracle. You go to Baltimore Church and you see a guy that you've known for 15 years working for BGE. Each one of you is a miracle. And God is going to keep writing those stories. And God is going to do something that we can never imagine. Not because we are doing something awesome here. And stick around. Stick around in church. Because this is the only place you're going to see God do those things in church. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father.